At lunchtime, uh, Gil and I walked across the street um, to get a closer look at <laughs> it, it felt a little bit like an anthropological uh, uh, expedition to discover the natives' activity. Uh, uh. I guess what we have to report is um, some members of the group shout loudly. <laughs> they wear red t-shirts. We weren't able to discern if shouting loudly entitled you to a red t-shirt or wearing a red t-shirt enabled you to shout loudly. <laughs> In other members, it didn't have red t-shirts. Um, While we were poking over the fence, uh, the non-red t-shirt members were being led blindfolded to somewhere that direction. <laughs> and they have a flag, a red flag, goes, maybe goes with the red t-shirts. Um, and it's the grand order of something that I can't remember. But here's what I did remember. The, 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 the slogan of the group is Credo Keo Absurdum. <laughs> Which for those of you who didn't, weren't forced to study Latin, <laughs> uh, Credo, I believe because it's absurd. It, and believe it or not, that has, um, w within theology, Christian theology has a, uh, has a significant meaning, um, which I think means something like the debate between um, is realization, to add a Buddhist word to it, something that can be known, or is it a matter of faith? No. And, uh, in, in early Christianity, and maybe in modern Christianity, some of that notion. I believe because it's absurd. Um, and the, the sixth paramita is um, wisdom, or the paramita of wisdom, or as it became known in the Mahayana, Prajna Paramita. 
somehow the two words were blended together and that became um, a quality of practice. In fact, it became more, but uh, it became almost like a, um, a credo, a, a something that had very significant, powerful, transformative qualities. You know, we, we get a certain amount of information and then we um, conclude whatever we conclude, you know. Uh, you know, we hear the loud shouting. And I think in a way it's kind of wonderful, you know. You, you can almost hear the feeling tone of it, you know. And the group members chanting in response to the red t-shirted loud voice. And then your mind fills in the blanks. Who are they? What are they doing? What does it mean? You know? Um, And in a way, when are we not doing that? You know, when are we not getting a certain amount of information and filling in the blanks, drawing conclusions, uh, responding to those conclusions, um, having a response to our response, And then we sit, and something starts to um, slow down, settle. Of course, it, it you know not not to in at all to say that's that's the totality of what happens for us. I mean, all sorts of things happen. Sometimes we're, you know, settling, and then we're opening, and one is stabilizing, and one is disruptive, you know. Um. And as there becomes more capacity to see the activity of mind, to in, in Zen, there's an image of t- walking backwards, taking the backward step from experience, conclusion, response, response to the response. We come backwards. Okay, w- what's this response in response to this? And this response in response to this perception. And this perception in response to this experience. Yeah. 
And then how does this um, inform us about the process of liberation, about the process of alleviating suffering, about the process of awakening? How does this create, stimulate, give a realization of prajna, wisdom? This is um, the territory of this sixth paramita. And to my understanding, there's a variety of responses within the teachings of Buddhism to that. Um, And I don't think of them as in competition or contradictory. I think of them as complementary. As we watch all that, we can see the process that as humans we go through in creating reality, responding to the reality that's created, and how that response accumulates, you know, creates a kind of psychological significance, creates a description of the world creates anticipations, creates regrets of the past or whatever. And and we see it, and and we see the uh, conditioned nature of our consciousness. And that this is wisdom, you know. This is both, um, helps us to see the character of the path and to see how to skillfully engage it. Mm. And then the other uh, perspective is that um, As consciousness uh, settles, as consciousness becomes less caught up in the clamor of its response to its response and its process of meaning-making and concluding in relationship to, you know, little snippets of information. As we were standing there examining the flag, one person drove up. Um, He was driving a white car, not a very large one. He opened up the bag and it was filled with stuff. And a yellow volleyball bounced out. 
So I concluded they play volleyball. <laughs> Maybe he was coming from his kids' end of the year school party, but my conclusion is they play volleyball. And, and as we engage mindfulness, as the mind becomes brighter and more capable of seeing the particulars, oh, this observation gave rise to this conclusion. You know? And then it's like we see it and we see through it. It's it's just um, you know maybe the word absurdity is a little too much, but it's um, a mere appearance. It's a uh, coincidental conclusion. Um, But as we can see it, we can both see through it and then I'm somewhat convinced by my own conclusion. And I'll be gratified later if we can hear a volleyball game. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, Watching my own speculative uh, involvement, I don't actually have much attachment to whether they do or they don't. You know, so uh, Prajna, in its clear observation, right in its clear observation, initiates a kind of liberation. You know. Yeah, my mind did that. Yeah. And now there's something rattling around there. Mm. And and we watch um, mind. We watch something called my mind. My conclusion my ideas, my life, and invite them with prajna, invite them to be mere appearances. And in that way, they're informative of the habits of mind, the habits of concluding. Um, and I didn't have much emotional involvement in that conclusion. I, I wasn't outraged that they play volleyball. I wasn't like, yes, these are good guys, they play volleyball. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're wholesome Americans. <laughs> no, didn't have a lot of emotional charge. It was more, more neutral. Yeah. Hmm. Look at that. The ball bounced across the road. He was unloading his luggage. And for a moment, I think both Kill and I were thinking, should we get that back for... And I said, oh, let's, let's not interfere. Maybe, maybe it's part of the initiation process. <laughs> so we can see not only the activity of mind, we can see the activity of response. You know, does it stir up emotion? Does it not stir up emotion? And, and and we see the self that we are, and we start to see something about the human condition. Yeah. Yes, this is me. This is my relationship to volleyballs. Uh, but it's, it as, as I see it, in that kind of equanimous, matter-of-fact way, I can also see this is the nature of consciousness, of human consciousness. And it can have, right in that, um, the flavor, the influence of liberation, the influence of cessation of suffering. And and as that's allowed to perfume the activity of being alive, the um, the, the natural um, as this, under the influence of the liberation and, and cessation of suffering, the, the the consciousness its capacity to attend to experience is enhanced. And in that enhancement, the backward steps, you know, from response to response, response to conclusion, or, or emotion, or a combination, usually of both, to the mere phenomena, the, the, uh, the experiences as they arise. You know. and, and then, you know, particularly in, in the Mahayana, the wisdom beyond wisdom, the wisdom beyond any conceptual process. But the impulse 
to understand it, the impulse to fill in the blanks, the impulse to connect the dots. Those times we, when we're settled into sitting, and sometimes, especially if we've been sitting long, you're not quite sure whether you're concentrated or distracted. You know? you, you're not quite sure whether this is wonderful or awful. You, you, you know, you're not quite sure if, if um, what exactly it is to have a body, you know? You, you know, with the tension, with, with this settled awareness, even what conventional mind would call pain, uh, has almost like has different attributes to it. It isn't just, this hurts, that's bad, you know, I want it to stop. It's, it can move from, this is profoundly unpleasant, to, this is just sensation, you know. Um, we, we, we can experience this dissolution of constructed reality, you know. And when the mind grasps at it uh, with habitual mode, but wait a minute, I have to have this figured out. I have to um, draw the correct conclusion. Um, then that can be quite disturbing. But when the mind, w with some spaciousness, or equanimity, or non-attachment, or usually some combination of all three, can simply allow this rising and falling away uh, of phenomenal existence. Um, then something can be released. The process of concluding is, is, is not so reactive. No. And similarly, when the mind settles in its process of attending, no. like one-pointed concentration is, you know, attend to this and as, as there's a tension, it becomes attending to phenomena rather than, you know, attending to a string of thoughts or a string of connected experiences of a variety. They're singular. And that also tends to settle and quiet discursive mind. And then as that quiets, um, uh, 
the apprehension of what's happening becomes um, less just a matter of apprehending constructed existence. And this has its own wisdom too. Now all that might seem sort of either boring or interesting, depending on your predilection, or maybe irrelevant to the human condition. But actually, it, it's enormously informative of how we put together our world and how we conclude, you know, and, 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 and how we um, shape our relationship to practice, our, our priorities in our life. You know. Like, it's, it's my notion that every one of us has had some glimpses, some moments, some experience of that backward step, of that settling into more simple, as in less complex, experience of existence. And as we do that, illumination influences how we hold our life, our thought patterns, our uh, our insights, you know, this, this intriguing capacity we have to be insightful, you know. You don't figure out an insight. You don't just read it and say, that's right. You may read it, it may affect you deeply, and you have an insight, but that's different. It's the affecting deeply. It's something that takes us beyond the product of thinking. You know? And the product of thinking has its patterns you know, for each of us. You know, it's interwoven with the emotions. It's interwoven with the definition of self and other and all sorts of things about reality. And as that becomes more spacious, loosens up, the insights arise. As that really opens up and drops away, insight perfumes, insight um, presents itself more thoroughly. Um. And it's a very interesting time, you know, to, to draw this into our attention because, you know, we, we're heading towards transitioning from this mode of being to whatever's next. And what are we already concluding? You know? Have you set your mind on joining our brethren across the street? 
do you already have an ambition to have a red t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I did see one person, he just had a red banner and he wasn't shouting. So, uh, And when those conclusions, anticipations arise, when this is over, I will or I won't do this wonderful thing or be subjected to this terrible thing. Um, can they be seen as, oh, this is this amazing play of conditioned existence. No. I believe because it's absurd. Yeah. The second century theologian, very interesting. He didn't say that, he said something like that. And it was, but that phrase became attached to his theological philosophy, and he stuck with it. <laughs> not, to s not to see what our mind concludes and then become adamant in destroying it, you know? Uh, but also to see it and let the seeing of it help it be held a little bit lighter. Hmm, I wonder, is that anticipation going to prove to be accurate? And then in seeing a little bit more deeply, seeing the way um, the, the insights that have arisen. You know? the, the, the whole yogic process of immersion in um, mindfulness. Yeah. Seeing the state of mind and the state of body and the disposition that that cultivates um, can that guide, can that instruct? What is it to let it guide and instruct? Yeah. From now on, I'm going to start the day with three hours of meditation. Um, from now on, I will treat everybody as if they're Buddha. Or 
or whatever. Not to say, you know, I don't mean to belittle either of those notions. I mean, they're both in their own way beautiful. But I would suggest that, that their beauty is more in the dedication, in the commitment, in the sincerity, than some adamant conclusion. And, and, and so the, the wisdom beyond wisdom, can we tune into that? Can we tune into the dedication? Can we tune into the insight of the, the, the sincerity of it, the, the, the insightful way we've tasted and touched the Dhamma the, of liberation, of going beyond suffering? Can we tune into it? Can uh, can we metabolize that and let it become part of us? Knowing that our mind and our heart will do all sorts of things with it, you know. Not to say don't draw conclusions, don't have, you know, ideas about how to continue practice, but can they have this almost mysterious quality? You know, like that quote I made of David White, you know, the vows we make out loud are the ones we break. The secret vows, that that which is is more um, beyond the words, beyond the ideas, no. or maybe to be a little less grand, beyond your usual patterns, you know, that arises from something that was touched, revealed, realized in, in the uh, retreat. And and it's an interesting interface between the usual patterns of thinking and feeling and what in the grand world of Zen we call non-thinking. How can contemplation, thinking in a way that isn't just driven by the usual patterns and agendas, but it's it, it's a more settled attention. It's as much about directing the attention as it receiving what the insight stimulates. And so, and so insight can also have this character to it too. You know, we, we hear the teachings, they touch us deeply, and there's in our being an av- avowal. And 
not just an admonition, but an acceptance and an embracing of the admonition. let this precious way of being um, be manifest as we go forward. You know, in, in, in the paramis, the pekka, you know, as with many lists, equanimity is the um, concluding attribute. And but wisdom, uh, prajna, and equanimity, they can be seen as interweaving. You know? This path is inviting us beyond affliction. And the entering into it, the engaging it, the being absorbed in it, uh, it's not the activity of um, having the answers. It's not the activity of um, running away from what our afflictions create. It, 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 it's embracing the conditioned nature of existence. It's embracing the potential for insight. In many ways, we can look at Shakyamuni's teachings and say, this is what he was advocating. He was advocating that each person discover within themselves this capacity. And how do we keep that alive within us? How can this insightful way inform, stimulate, and guide and support? And in the language of Zen, uh, we would say that's a koan. That's an inquiry that's answered by practice not by thinking mind. Yeah. And that inquiry um, can draw us into the contemplation and the contemplation not simply the activity of the mind, not even simply the activity of the heart, but the activity of insight.
you know, one of the reasons I mentioned are you find friends across the street was they're already here, you know. We've been listening to them all day, you know. This is the nature of our practice. What do you practice with? You practice with what's here, you know. Practice doesn't happen somewhere else under some other condition. It happens. So, so since they're already here, I thought, well, let's acknowledge what's already here. Let's acknowledge how we are inclined to relate to it. As I'd listened to the shouting this morning, I could watch my mind not liking it, you know. And then somewhere very close to not liking was not approving of it. And somewhere to not approving of it was a little hint of superiority. Just a little. (laughs) 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 Whatever it is, however it is, we put it in front of us. Huh, okay. But, you know, maybe you'll be relieved to know I included us all in that superiority. (laughs) 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 This way is superior to whatever they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) And when we see the constructs, you know, when we see the nature of the self-bias, when we see the process of the human condition, you know, something starts to open, you know, rather than narrowing and closing and some profound separation, you know. There's us and there's those terrible people over there. part of our life can we not relate to and say, this is it. This is the grind of practice. What part of our own being can we not say that to? And this, the nature of this practice, it's always unfolding in its teachings. This is its nature. And the, the paramita of it is that universal quality, that universal capacity. You know, we can say perfect, but actually 
in a way, complete is a better adjective, you know. Or even its universal application, you know, th that it, it, it can relate to whatever arises. And when we let all this settle in us, when we let all this breathe through us, um, of course we know as a human being we will have joy and fear and sadness and gratitude, all sorts of emotions, all sorts of thoughts, conclusions, but they are the grind of practice, you know. And this is, this helps that equanimity. So be it. How will it all turn out? I don't know. But it's beyond success and failure. How trite to think, oh, this is success, this is failure. So prajna paramita, we hold it in that way, and in that way it holds us. Okay. Thank you.